Will you take your Bible, let's turn together to the New Testament, to 1 Peter. If you go to Revelation, you can go backwards six books and you'll arrive at 1 Peter. Behind Hebrews and James. Go back uh, to your right toward the end of the Bible if you're in Hebrews or James. 1 Peter is right before 2 Peter. How about that? But that's right before 1st and 2nd, 3rd John. So if you get in that area, 1 Peter chapter 4, at least a portion of this passage may be familiar sounding to you. I pray so. But I hope it will be a passage you'll go back to even after we examine it in worship this morning. 1st Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. As we look at serve others this morning, the second step of our process of making disciples at Liberty Baptist Church. Now, as you have just been seated, I'm going to ask if you're able, let's honor the Lord by standing as we read His Word. We do this to remind ourselves this Word is different. It is the Word of God. It's set apart from any other and all others. It is life-giving. It is renewing and refreshing, has the ability by the power of God to renew our minds, to transform our lives, and let's hear God's Word speak. Verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and be watchful in your prayers. Above all things have fervent what? Love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without what? Grumbling or murmuring. They were Baptists, by the way. So, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, by your Spirit, instruct our minds, prick our hearts, make us more like Christ. Help us to esteem others above ourselves, and help us to invest our lives by serving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we say in the Alabama Baptist State Convention, we have one mission, and that is the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, the Bible says, Go therefore and make what? Disciples of all the nations. This is what we do, that business of making disciples. Last week, we discerned we do that by going, by baptizing, by teaching, as we live our lives as everyday missionaries, leveraging our time, talent, and treasure for the sake of the gospel. Let me remind you of one of my favorite definitions of a biblical disciple. It's called a 3D definition. A disciple, biblically, is one who is devoted to Jesus, who is developing to be like Jesus, and who is deployed to be on mission with Jesus. So devoted to Jesus, developing to be like Him, and to be deployed on mission with Him. And that mission that we have is the mission of making disciples. We at Liberty have an intentional process on the front of your bulletin, just above the prayer notes that 
Colton called attention to are three big words, discover, serve, and grow. That is how we state our intentional process at Liberty to make disciples. Discover Christ, serve who? Others, yeah, you're catching on, and grow strong. Now, as we talk about discover and serve and grow, we do have three expectations for every child of God. As we gather at liberty, as we seek to be on mission with our Savior and making disciples, as we seek to be very intentional in this discovery and serving and growing, three expectations is that you weekly engage in corporate worship, weekly have a place that you serve others in and through the body of Christ, and weekly you are engaged in a small group called a life group at Liberty in order to grow strong in Christ. Now, here's the win. We put it all together. Here's what it sounds like. A believer who is actively, and let me just back up and let you know what I think active means. Uh, They say active is once a month or once every six weeks now in church life. No, active is at least weekly. So as we look at this, the win for us is a believer who is actively slash weekly discovering Christ, serving others, and growing strong through worship, serve, and small group. And so the intentional process of discover, serve, and grow will fuel the true disciple to be devoted to Jesus, to develop, to be like Jesus in character and conduct, and to be deployed to be on mission with Jesus. This is who we are, and this is what we do, and that is called discover, serve, and grow. Last week, we looked at discover Christ through the lens of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We discovered the what? Make disciples. We reviewed uh, the how by going, baptizing, and teaching. And we discern the why. Why do we do this? Well, Jesus commissioned us to do it. He told us to. But why would we obey him? Because there is a world of people that are lost and they're headed to a devil's hell without Christ. And God has embraced his children his church to be on mission with him in a redemptive plan that brings folks to a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. There is no greater work than that kind of work. Now, if we were asked the Apostle Paul, Paul, why do you do what you do? What is your goal for serving in the body of Christ? You can write down Colossians 1.28. This is what Paul has already said. Colossians 1.28, he says, That I may present every man perfect, not sinless, but mature in Christ Jesus. Paul, why do you do what you do in and through the body of Christ? That I may present every person, every child of God, mature in Christ Jesus. If we were to ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, how would you describe the function of the local church, this body of Christ, the mission of making disciples. In fact, you can write down Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and following. He's already told us what he thinks of the local church function and he said, we do what we do for the equipping of the saints, for the work of what? Ministry, yes, ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God so that we are perfect, not sinless, but mature 
in Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In spite of what some church people think, even religious leaders, God's goal for your life and my life is not about making more money, but it is about growing to be more like Christ. That's called maturity. God's purpose for your life and mine is not so much about our personal happiness as it is about our personal holiness, being set apart for His glory. God's purpose for our life is not how much we can get from everyone else out of life, but how much we can give for His glory in life. Do you see the contrast? Do you understand the difference? So our purpose is to help believers be devoted to Christ by knowing Him and Christ becoming their one and only, their Savior as well as their Lord. Our purpose, we do what we do, is to help believers, children of God, that know Him and that are heaven-bound, develop in this thing called life and grow up to be more like Jesus. Our purpose is not only to introduce them to Christ so they can be devoted to Him as Savior and Lord and to come alongside and help them develop so they can grow up to be like Christ, but our purpose is to remind each other as we gather, when we leave, we're on mission. We are deployed to live differently in this world, to share the love of Christ as we go, to make Him known by how we live to make disciples. We have a mission, and that mission matters to our world. Now, if we think like... You missed a good place to say amen, so wake up. If we think like Jesus, we will think of others first. If we act like Jesus, we will invest our lives to serve the others we think about first. Today, we'll examine what Peter said about spiritual service. He instructed these believers that were going through intense persecution for their faith to live victoriously in the midst of difficult days. He encouraged them, don't grow bitter because you're mistreated for the sake of the gospel. He encouraged them, in your suffering, keep trusting in the Lord and keep on serving Him. He encouraged them, look toward what's coming, the second coming of Christ. He is the soon king of kings that will come again. And so Peter's letter really is a letter of hope. It is a message of encouragement that he gives them in a living hope through a living Savior that even though life is hard, even though life is unfair, you serve a faithful God who loves you more than any other, who's demonstrated that love, and He's rescued you out of the pit of hell, and He's called you to go and let others know how they can be rescued from their own brokenness. That's our spiritual serve. That's who we are, and that's what we do. Let's look in Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. There are three aspects of our spiritual service. First of all, on your sermon notes, the incentive to serve. Our incentive for our spiritual service. Peter said the end is near. Do you see that? Because the end is near. Verses 5 and 6, as you read that above, verse 7, conclude with a reference about final judgment. In other words, Peter says there is a day coming that those who are lost in their sin would stand before a holy, uh, holy God and stand before a sovereign judge. There's a day coming. They're going to get what's due them. 
Don't you worry about the mistreatment that you're having from them. Understand also there's a day coming that every man and woman will stand before their Lord, their Savior in a time of judgment. We'll come back to that. But Peter repeated in verse 7 what he ended with in verses 5 and 6 that there is a final judgment and therefore Peter says, now the end is near. Let me ask you this. If Peter thought the end was near in A.D. 64 and 65, what would he say today? The old preacher says, we're closer than we've ever been. And that's a silly statement, but it's an accurate statement. You can't argue with the truth. We are closer to the coming again of Jesus today than we've ever been. Uh, We are one day closer than we've ever been to Jesus coming again and rescuing his people for sure. Peter says, because the end is near, then we are to live our life a certain kind of way. It's critical because every man, woman, boy, and girl that is without Christ is facing a certain eternal destiny in a place called hell. Time is of the essence. Peter is saying the end is near. The reason the end is near is because in the New Testament we see the ministry of Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that inaugurated what we know in in the Bible times as the last days of Christ. From the time of his resurrection and ascension to the time of his second coming, his coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so in the New Testament there's something we see over and over and over again that we don't sense in the local church today. That is urgency. That is this idea that Jesus could come again today. His coming is imminent. Let me ask you, when's the last time you thought about the idea that Jesus could come back today? That, that word in the Greek for end, telos, is, is a word that means fulfillment, consummation. And so in the context here, what Peter is saying is that the second coming of Christ is imminent. It's as imminent today as it was when Peter spoke it. It could happen at any time. And so as we hear that, that's the incentive that, that, is, that the end is near. Every other exhortation that we're going to read about in in verses 7 through 11 follows a connecting word after that first phrase. Look at verse 7. But the end of all things is near or is at hand. Next word, what is it? Therefore. And so, therefore connects what Peter just said. The end is at hand and what he is about to say. Here's how it's going to go. Because the end is near, you are to live your life in a certain kind of way. It's critical. It's urgent. Time is of the essence. What is that way? Focused on others first and intentional by how you live your life. And we'll go break that down. What does that mean? It means that believers should be alert with sound judgment in your prayers. Believers should live in sacrificial love that includes hospitality toward one another, that we should use our gifts, whether they're speaking gifts or serve gifts, to help others. Our aim ultimately, our motivation in all that we do is to see God glorified through Jesus Christ, His Son and our Savior. That's why we're here, right? Yes, wake up. It's going to sound good to those who watch it back on the website. Hey, we got one guy that's awake out there. So good. Football's around the corner. Some of you can tell me how many hours we are to the first kickoff of your team. 
So in football terms, if Peter were a football fan, don't know that he was, Peter would say the two-minute warning has just sounded. The clock is ticking away. Time is running out. It is urgent. Every second matters. Every play is critical. We must make the most of every opportunity of every day in our life to live on mission for God's glory that others may come to know Christ. We are the church. Our mission matters. Why in the world does it matter? Because... 151, 600,000 people die every day. 6,316 people die every hour. That many in the time frame that we're here in worship. 105 people die every minute. Nearly two people die every second. And many of those folks are dying without any understanding of how to be born again through Christ. The end is near and time is of the essence. It is an urgent message and our mission is clear. Make what? Disciples, by making Christ known so that they can become devoted to Christ alone, developing to be like Him, and then we have an army of people deployed going to make Him known. Here's the question, not what is our mission, but will I engage in this mission? Will I be found faithful? Here's what we need to understand. After the rapture takes place, I believe the Bible teaches that the church will be caught up together in the air with them, those who died in Christ before us, to meet the Lord. And that is the next big event and the end times that I think is going to take place biblically. When that happens, we as believers will be in front of our Savior and our Lord in a time of judgment, not for the penalty of our sin because Jesus paid it all. He said, it is finished. We are paid in full. We have this Holy Spirit of God as the seal of our redemption. We're not going to be judged based upon our sin because Jesus paid that penalty in full. Are you with me that far? But we are accountable with the time and talent and treasure that Jesus has entrusted to us. We have been given gifts. We have been given days. We have been given finances. And I believe our Savior is going to say, what did you do for the kingdom's sake with what I gave you to do with? And all that's going to matter is how we invested our time, our talent, our treasure, or our life for His glory. So if we were being evaluated on that today, how would we measure up? The Bible says that when He, Jesus, returns, He will both bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness and disclose even the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to Him from God. Is there anything for God to praise? The Bible says there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Scripture does teach that there is two judgments at least, and, and believers are going to be judged in what is called the judgment seat of Christ, not for the penalty of our sins, but accountability of how we invested our life for His glory. And so Romans 14, verse 10 and following, write that text down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and following, write that down. That is the judgment seat of Christ to whom we will give account to our Savior about how we invested our life on the mission that He commanded us to be about. Question, are you chasing your own dreams or are you on mission for your Savior? It matters not how much money you're going to have in the bank. It matters not how much inheritance you're going to leave to your kids. It matters not what kind of uh, position that you held at the end of your life. It matters not all the good deeds that you did for your own glory unless it was done for Christ's glory to make Him known. Unbelievers will face 
the Lord God Almighty in a different judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment, Revelation 20, verse 11 and following. And the Bible says, Everyone whose name, not written in the Lamb's book of life, will be cast into an eternal hell. That's why our, our incentive ought to motivate us. Time is of the essence. The end is near. Our mission is clear. People are dying. We must, we must be about the mission near and far at Liberty Baptist Church. Here's some instructions for our mission. Number two, instructions for uh, spiritual service. Right thinking. Before we look at the couple of verses, beginning with verse 7, the last part, evaluate yourself right here as how real servants think. It was challenged by Rick Warren years ago. The book now is entitled, What, what on Earth Am I Here For? But real servants think more about others than themselves. Just think. Where have you thought it's been? About you, about others. Real servants think like stewards and not owners. For the Bible says if we're slaves to Christ, He owns us. And anything that we have has been given by His grace. We are managers, we are stewards over the time and the talent and the treasure that we have. Think about our place in ministry. What has God gifted me to do? God hadn't called you to do what I do, and God hadn't called me to do what you do, but God's called you to do something that you can do well. God's not only called you to do something that you can do well, He's given you gifts to support that. He's fueled you with His Holy Spirit to make it effective in the body of Christ. And so are you thinking about how you serve the Lord with all that is within you for His honor and for His glory? Are you looking around and comparing yourself with others and, and even have the audacity to criticize and compete with others? That's not what we're about. Real servants... Look at serving as an opportunity, not an obligation. All honesty, with today in mind, was it an obligation or was it an opportunity? Peter says, now, while we serve, here's some instructions that you need to go forward with. Verse 7, therefore, following, because the end is near, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious, sound judgment, be in your right mind. For the child of God, the right mind is a spiritual mind, not a flesh mind. The right mind is about spiritual priorities, what God has called us to be and do. The right mind is about righteous living. And so when our minds are subject to Christ, and the only way that that happens is for us to spend time in the Word daily. And then we're renewed in our minds daily by the washing in of God's Word. So when our minds are subject to Christ and, and we begin to understand the thoughts of Christ and take on the mind of Christ, and when we're saturated in the Word of God, then we see matters from an eternal perspective, a God perspective and not my perspective. The only way that that can happen is when I take on the mind of Christ through the washing in of the Word of God and I am saturated with what God equips me to know about who I am and why I'm here and how to be obedient to Him, then I can be sound in my judgment and I can be in my right mind spiritually as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be in your right mind is not to think about selfish ambition, but it's to think about Christ's glory. But not only be in your right mind, y'all missing some great opportunities. Y'all, but be watchful, be sober, be alert. 
Be sober-minded, sane. It doesn't just mean not to be drunk, but it means to be purposeful with when you get up in the morning of decisions you make about how you live your life. By default, if we don't do anything, if we don't open the Word of God, we are prone to wonder. We go our own way. We live for our own desires. We do our own thing. It's all about us, and we become stressed all about us. But to be watchful means that we seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. To be watchful means that we're spiritually alert. Oh, God, give me eyes to see what you see. Give me a heart that breaks for what your heart breaks for. Give me a boldness to speak truth and when in a world that so desperately needs it. We can't do that by ourselves, but when we show up and we let God speak into our life on a daily basis, then we're spiritually alert. Then we're sound in our mind and the priorities are right and we're fueled with the Holy Spirit of God. Godly thinking and spiritual alertness are crucial for our purpose in prayer. Just a question. What kind of prayers do you pray? One of our former pastors, Dr. Sam Wolf, calls them BB prayers. Most of us say BB prayers. Be with me and bless me. Be with me and bless me. But do you go beyond BB prayers? Do you ask God, give me eyes to see what you see? Oh, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Oh, God, give me a love that you have for others, even those that are different from me. God, give me boldness in speech, courage to live differently in the culture that you've allowed me to live in. Uh, We don't need to worry about end of times to the point of fretting that this might be the end, that the solar eclipse tomorrow might be when Jesus comes. Hallelujah, even so, I have a feeling it'll get real bright if He comes again. We need to understand that that we invest all that we are every day in spiritual alertness and sound judgment that as long as I have life, God, help me live for your glory. But he goes further. He says not only that, but right thinking leads to right action. Right thinking in our prayers, get our line, vertical line, prioritize, that, that we know who we are and why we're here. Then here's the action. And he says, above all else. Above all things. See it in verse 8? Have fervent what? Above all else. What does that mean? Of utmost importance. The most important thing we do after we get vertically in line, after we have sound judgment and right thinking and, and our priorities are right, above all else, the supreme thing you do, have fervent stretched out kind of love, agape love, God's kind of love, unconditional, sacrificial, selfless. In other words, it requires us stretching every spiritual muscle to love others in spite of insult, in spite of injury, and in spite of misunderstanding. It means it is a love of choice and not a love of emotion only. It is a love of choice. Even when we're wronged, we can choose not to return evil for evil. It means that we can choose to forgive when we're injured. It means we can choose not to be bitter at other believers. It means we can choose not to murmur and grumble and complain when it's not my way. It means that we are all stretched out, everything within me, to love with a fervent love 
others. Those who are we supposed to love? Do you see it there? Look at verse 8. For who? One another. In the context, who's the one another? Look around. Look around. Children of God. Do fellow church members and children of God ever make you mad? Do they ever hurt your feelings? Do they ever let you down? Do they ever do things that disappoint? Do they ever not measure up on their word? Look at the next phrase. For love will cover a multitude of what? That does not mean we, we take sin lightly. It does not mean that we ignore sin. God didn't and we don't. But it does mean as you have been loved, then you extend that love. You were unlovable. You were rebellious. You didn't deserve what God gave you. There's some people around us, even God's people, church people, that can be unlovable, that can be rebellious, that can hurt, and that can injure. But love in Christ covers a multitude of their sins. In other words, we have the privilege in Christ to choose to be nice, to choose to be gracious, to choose to be loving, to choose to be merciful for the glory of God rather than crossing our arms and poking out our lips and pouting because I'm injured and I'm entitled to better treatment and you owe me an apology and it's not like I like it. I want something different. I'm entitled to some All that baloney. Peter says, no, above all else, all we need to learn is to love one another fervently. Wouldn't we be all a better off church? When we start loving one another fervently, then the world around us will know, hey, what's up with that? In fact, Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. And he says, that's how you love one another, and it's by this that they will know that you are my disciples. They outside the walls of the church will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Not easy, but it is possible. Then he said, be hospitable. In that context, that meant, meant something significant to them, literally to love strangers. It takes love beyond uh, the realm of other believers, though it embraces the realm of believers. Uh, and, and to be hospitable without grumbling, without, uh, with an unselfish attitude toward others. Hospitality was crucial for the Christian mission in the New Testament. It's in a day in which there wasn't much lodging or lodging could not be afforded. And so to advance, to advance the gospel, the mission, it depended on a willingness of believers to provide a bed and boarding for those who were visiting and it may not have come at a convenient time. It may have been right on the heels of somebody else staying in your extra room. It may have been something that interrupted your schedule. It wasn't easy. What we do know is that there were some believers that Peter was addressing. They began to grumble because hospitality was hard work. It was not easy. And Peter says, no, you just stay hospitable without grumbling. Then next, he said, now, as each one has received a gift, Minister it to whom? One another. Who's one another? They look around. Minister it to one another. And so as each one, who's each one? Everyone. And so here's what we know about spiritual gifts in the Bible. Every child of God has at least one gift. No child of God has every gift. 
And gifts are not that which are to be sought after as far as pouring over prayer. Oh, God, I want to speak in tongues. God, I pray that you'd give me tongues. God, that you allow me to have tongues so that I can have a manifestation of your spirit being alive and well in my life. Nowhere is any gift commanded to be prayed for that you receive it, but to acknowledge what God's already done, that by his sovereignty and his grace, he has already bestowed gifts upon you that come when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life. You have as much Holy Spirit in you right now as you will ever have. The only problem is, do you hinder him? Do you quench his power at work because you say yes to sin and no to obedience? You can clean those things up, and then you can be fueled with the power of God like never before. You're gifted to serve. You're commanded to serve. You're saved to serve, and you're enabled by God to be effective in your servant service. And so God says, let each one, everyone who has received a gift, minister it to one another. So that's why we say in our process, serve others. You are commanded to serve others with that which you have been given to serve you, time, talent, and treasure. And, and Peter says, we are commissioned to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, God gave it. He's entrusted it, and what he gave us, he's going to hold us accountable with. If he gave us spiritual gifts for which to serve, then he's going to hold us accountable about how we serve with the gift that he gave us. Now, in the bottom of your sermon notes, there's a link for a spiritual gift inventory that comes from the church website. You might be saying, I have no idea what a spiritual gift is, much less what I have. That if God gave it, he's kept it a secret because I sure don't know what it is. Let me just give you a broad definition of a spiritual gift and point you to that inventory that will help you answer questions. You just answer them honestly based upon what you think, when, the answer that pops into your mind when the question is asked. It's an inventory, and it gives you an idea maybe of some of the gift areas that God's given you. But a spiritual gift is a certain capacity bestowed by God's grace and power upon his redeemed children, certain capacity bestowed by God's grace and power upon his redeemed children, which enables them to serve effectively in the body of Christ and for the achievements of God's purposes. So specific capacity of something that God's given you by his grace and power to enable you to serve effectively in the body of Christ. Now that is a cool God that would do that for the purpose of building up the body, equipping them so that we are mature in Christ. We grow up to be like Christ, and you are a part of that. None of us are just alike. We may share some gifts, but gifts, even though they're duplicated as far as a preaching gift or a teaching gift, our personalities are different. We're wired different. And uh, Stephen Olford said it this way, God only makes originals, never duplicates. And so it does matter whether or not you serve because nobody can serve exactly like you. You have an influence that I don't have. I may have an influence that you don't have. It's critical that we serve together as good stewards in the manifold grace of God or the variety of spiritual gifts that God has given. You have a gift, you need to be serving. Two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And so our gifts normally fall into one or two or both of those categories. And he said, let him do it as with the ability that you supply. No, that God supplies. Because you can't fuel a spiritual gift. 
you can fuel flesh and you can fuel effort. But when the Holy Spirit of God fuels a spiritual gift, eternal impact happens. And so what we focus on is getting out of the way and letting God work, making ourselves available for His glory. Now, here's the intention for our service. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, that's a speaking gift. Let him speak with, as the oracles of God, the authority of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability God supplies. Why? What's the intention? That in all things God may be what? Glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Or so let it be. We do what we do to advance the gospel by making disciples. Look at that cardboard bulletin insert that you have. Those are some wins that we thought about. That because we serve our Lord, fueled by the Holy Spirit of God, and do that together, uh, then there are great things that have happened. And I'm not going to read it all to you. I want to highlight some of them. In your sermon notes, there's a quote from Helen Keller that says, Alone, by ourselves, we can do so little, but together we can do so much. Isn't that good? Together, we've done a whole lot. This is just the tip of the iceberg of some of the wins. I want to call your attention to two things on the finances, that cooperative program, and, and that Shelby Baptist is a six-month number. Let me give you a 12-month number. CP, cooperative program, that's the financial arm that 11% of our undesignated monies goes through Liberty Baptist Church, through Alabama Baptist, through the Southern Baptist Convention, literally near and to the ends of the earth. And there was $236,163 and some change that went through uh, Liberty Baptist Church to, the, to advance the kingdom, to advance the gospel. Shelby Baptist Association, $75,828. If I'm not mistaken, there's been a number of years running. I don't think I am. We're not the largest church in Shelby Baptist Association, but we're the number one dollar-giving church in Shelby Baptist Association. That's good news. Everything that our ministries of Shelby Baptist cooperating together does, you have a part in that. That is kingdom impact. There are many other numbers on there, but none are more precious than those who profess faith in Christ through baptism. I celebrate that 28 and the other additions, but that's a low number for the second fastest-growing city in the state of Alabama. And what that says is we may be serving, but we're not hitting at optimum capacity. Not everybody is serving as you ought to be serving. All of us need to improve to make Christ known in our community. Here's some questions as we close. A real servant makes himself or herself available. So here's the question. Have I made myself available to God? I mean, really. When you pray and just say, Lord, I may not know how I'm gifted, but I do believe you that I am gifted. I may not know where to start, but God, I want to start here, wherever you lead, whatever door you open for me to serve through. If I know that you're leading, then I'm going to do that. Every day we ought to begin that day of availability. Lord, here am I. Show up for your glory. Give me eyes to see. Give me a heart of compassion. Give me a boldness to live out my life for your glory. Are we attentive to needs? Or do we just pass on by those needs and think, well, that's what the staff's for. That's what the deacon's for. That's what the teacher's going to do. 
take care of that need. So let me ask you, you pass by a piece of paper in the parking lot? Is that a need? Yeah, it is. It bugs the stew out of me when I see a dirty parking lot. Because whatever we do, we ought to do it for the glory of God. And it ought to be the best we can be. Uh, and, and so are we attentive to needs? Do we help each other get in and out of the doors? Do we help each other have a bulletin? Do we help each other find a seed? Do we help each other grow in the Word of God? Do, do we help each other to, to make right choices in hard times? Attentive to needs, whatever that means. Are you doing your best with what you have? You may think, I don't have a lot. Well, are you doing your best with what little you have? Do you do every task with equal dedication? Is opening a door important? Is handing out a bulletin important? Is keeping the nursery and changing diapers important? Is children's worship important? Is children ministry important? Is student ministry important? Is adult ministry important? Is widow's might ministry important? I wish you all could have been with me this week, Thursday, when I walked in that room. And I don't know how many of those little widows were in there. But there's probably 25 plus in there. And they had three big projects going. One of the projects was sending packets to the voice of martyrs that were sending gospel messages into Iraq, into Afghanistan, and into Sudan. These little widows might say, we don't have much. We just believe that God's not through with us yet. And God takes a whole little and makes a whole lot out of it. They just made themselves available. And God's multiplying that ministry many, many times over. So don't tell God you don't have much. What you have, he wants, and he can use it for his glory. Are you faithful to your ministry? Do you make much of yourself or much of Christ? A quote from Martin Luther King says, Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. Hallelujah. You don't even have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace generated by a soul of love. We all can't be famous, but we can all be great, and we can become great when we serve others. God made us so that we need each other. That's why there's a lot of one another's in Scripture. We see that in friendships. We see that in marriage. We see that in the church. We are better together. So we are created to serve, we're saved to serve, we're called to serve, we're commanded to serve. Therefore, let's serve others for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us know how to serve you better. Help us, forgive us for making it all about us. And help us to know better how to make it all about Jesus. Father, we are human, <laughs> we're fallen, and our default mechanism is very selfish. We get our feelings hurt when we don't get our way, or when we don't like the way things are being done, and we focus on all the things sometimes that we don't like, and we forget about what you've asked, what you've commanded, and how you have enabled us already to bring you glory by exalting Jesus and esteeming others for the sake of the gospel. So, Father, we ask that we'll make a fresh
commitment, maybe a first commitment to serve you with our lives in and through this body of believers. And Father, I pray that you'd grant us wisdom to know what you're saying and understanding. And Father, give us courage to obey. I thank you that today we can set aside and just celebrate those who serve at Liberty. And Father, we're forever thankful. And we know you take record of every single act and word of service. You will not lose sight of any of your servants. We fall way short as a body of believers to value and appreciate one another the way we should. But Father, we, we take heart that what we do, we do for the glory of the Lord. We do that others may know Christ, and we do because we know there will be a day that when our Savior who knows all things, who sees all things, even the motive and intent of our heartbeat, all that matters is what we hear from Him. And I pray that we will hear from Him, well done, thy good and faithful servant. May we think like Jesus, esteeming others. May we act like Jesus by serving others. Who the greatest of the greatest came to earth as God in the flesh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And Father, may we grow to be like Jesus. By your spirit, draw us to know what that means in personal application. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.